What's going on, everybody? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and this is episode 109 of the Adult Education Podcast. This week, I'm speaking with country duo Everett. Thank you so much for checking out my show. I really do appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to adult education. Now, this show is all about learning new things or maybe learning more about some other topics you're already familiar with. I speak with experts across all fields to learn more about health, education, technology, mental health, and really just about anything that I find interesting. If you'd like to support adult education, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. I love how word of mouth can inspire new people to check out the show. It means a lot. Some of you listening right now may know this, but my primary job is as a morning show DJ on a country radio uh, music station. Over the years working in country radio, I've been able to meet some really cool artists and forge some friendships. And I've shied away from interviewing a lot of people from that world because I don't know. I've just had this weird, guilty feeling about asking my friends and acquaintances for favors, right? But I've started to get over that because I do want to help share the stories of these incredible artists. So that's what this episode is all about. I had a chance to sit down with Brent Rupard and Anthony Olympia, otherwise known as the duo Everett. I first met these guys back in 2018, just after they got their record deal. They had this really refreshing sound. It's it's kind of a mix of country and bluesy and southern rock. I hadn't heard much like it before, and I was just hooked immediately. Then as they started to build up momentum, the pandemic hit and kind of slowed everything down to a halt. Brent and Anthony used the pandemic to dig deeper into their goals and perspectives on the world and have come back out with a new album that I think takes their music to a whole new level. The album Kings of the Dairy Queen Parking Lot Side B is out now. We caught up and talked about the history of the duo, how some time apart brought them back together and how the pandemic helped them get a handle on what they really wanted out of the band. How are you, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's good to uh, it's good to see you. Yeah, man. Back at you. I'm sorry that I uh, missed the show in Baltimore a couple of weeks ago, but uh, yeah, you know, it's that time of year. The little kid got a little sick and kind of had to make that the priority. It's funny. I can count on one hand how many shows I missed before becoming a dad. And now it's like, (laughs) it's so hit or miss now. (laughs) Oh, I totally get it. I got, I got a one and a half year old just in the other room over there. You'll probably, probably hear him at some point during this chat (laughs) there is a solid possibility you'll hear mine running around upstairs too she just discovered baby shark the other day so we've been dealing with that (laughs) i have kids too i I know the i I know that song too well well i'm glad actually that it was uh nicole that logged in first because i happened to be listening to your music and uh i would have been busted in that moment like that awkward moment of like wait is he listening to us (laughs) (laughs) i would have given you a uh Zoom high five. Actually. There you go. Well, I I do love the record, uh, King of the Dairy. I'm sorry, the Dairy Queen parking lot, uh, side B. Really fantastic work, you guys, with this. I love it. Thank you, man. Thank you. We're pretty proud. I think you should be. It's It's got so much. I think what I love about it is it's different in so many ways, but also it doesn't sound it doesn't sound different in a way where it can't be accessible. Like I think even though you guys take some uh, risks with the music, like it's got a very bluesy sound to it. There's a lot of like bite your bottom lip, play along air guitar kind of guitar licks on that, on the album. Um, but it still sounds very accessible to everybody. And I love that. I love what you were able to to mix together with it. Awesome, man. That's, that's, that's really cool to hear, man. What are you hearing from people as the top songs on it so far? Well, uh, one of them is wild woman, uh, which is interesting because that's the song we definitely wanted on that, on the record, but there were a few people on our team that kind of gave us some raised eyebrows, like, really this song and we always love that song so there's a little bit of like told you so and <laughs> involved in it so dude speaking of that one um the day we wrote it uh, was with our buddy aaron right here uh we may or may not have been a little buzzed 
And uh, we went to do a little, you know, iPhone voice memo recording of the song to capture whatever it is we were writing. And it was very loose, but we had a vision. We knew it was going to be great. And if it weren't for our producer, Luke Laird, I don't think that song would have made it on the record because he really fought for it. I know we sat down and was like, I don't know about that one, you know, from parts of the team. And and Luke was just like, man, I think they got to record this song because it makes Everett what it is. And I, I, I'm so glad he fought for it because it really is a highlight for me on side A, side B, whatever, the whole project. It's a we really needed that song to really burn one down. I also really like Make Me Want One. And when I'm listening to that song, I don't know if you're familiar with this album, but Frankie Ballard did a record a few years back called El Rio, which I think is like the most criminally underrated album of the last decade. And I hear a lot of that vibe in Make Me Want One. And the second I started listening to it, I was like, oh my God, like this is what I've been missing. I love this so much. That's cool. That's a great album. Yeah, that's cool. Yes, I guess that kind of uh, dusty, groovy kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so let's, uh, let's take it back a little bit. Um, we're talking about the new music right now, but let's take it back a little bit to how you guys came together. Um, I want to say, first of all, and this might sound weird to say, but it's good to have you back. Like I I met you guys back in 2018. Um, I know you rolled through Baltimore, we had dinner and it was just like, wow, there's something really refreshing about this duo. There's something kind of cool they're working with. They're bringing a new sound to what we've been kind of hearing on the radio. And then it kind of seems like things slowed down a little bit. I know you guys both went through a lot of personal changes. We've got weddings, we've got kids, we've got all the pandemic. There's so much happening in the last four years. Um, so I'm just, I'm just glad to have you guys back rolling and like out there and excited to, to get new music to people. Us too. Us too. We never really quit by any means, but you're right. There was a lot of life changes and we were really ramping up right before we actually cut Kings of the Dairy Queen parking lot, the whole record before the pandemic, right before the pandemic. So we were ramping up and ready to go and just fired up about it. Then all of a sudden the rug got pulled out from underneath of us for a couple of years, just like a lot of people, you know, but man, it's been so great and refreshing to get back out and play live shows. And this duo is, we're never going to quit, man. We're, uh, I apologize to the people who don't like us because you're not, you're not going to get rid of us. We're going to be around for a long time. Hey, speaking of all, uh, rewinding just a second, we were in Scotland vacationing us a, a few days before uh, heading to London to play the C2C Festival in 2020. And so Wednesday night, late that evening, we were all, you know, kind of calming down from all the good times. You know, we were me and Brent and our wives, we were there in Scotland and um, Edinburgh and um, get the call from our manager that, you know, we're gonna have to get you all on a plane. We got to get you back. They're closing down everything. And we were like, what? <laughs> and it was a snow. And my, I had a one, almost a one and a half year old at home that we were getting back to, which I was kind of glad. But either way, we got home and it, like Brent said, it just completely deflated. But I really feel like like a lot of people, you know, you hear a lot of people's stories kind of similar. It, it made us kind of reflect about, you know, what is it that we're doing here? And I honestly feel like it made us think more about the why. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, why are we doing this? You know, what what is our mission here? Of course, like we want to be. Uh, successful enough to make money to bring home to our family to provide to have retirement to help to you know to to do our part in our our families but also like we feel like our music can be a part of the way music can be healing can be medicine for people for their souls for their well-being and I think that really it, it fanned that flame inside of us even more having the chance to stop and reflect it was really important for us 
I've, I've heard that from quite a few people too, especially artists that were kind of in similar situations to yours where there was some momentum and then just like, bam, everything just kind of stops for a little bit. And a lot of artists have said like, you know, it took, it gave me a second to, like you said, reflect, sit back and think about it, but also to really reflect about the music. I've talked to a couple of folks that were like, you know what? I realized some of the music I was making, I wasn't making music for me. I was making music for a label or for a manager or for a whatever. And I got to sit back and look at it and go, that's not what I want to be. I want to reevaluate. I want to make some more stuff that's really me, that's really us, however the situation may be. And I wonder, since we're talking about this a little bit, like, did you guys have a similar thing? Like, I don't ever get the feeling that the music you were making was made for anybody else, but I wonder, did you sit back and listen and go, you know what, I think, I think there's more we could do to kind of highlight our personalities. Oh, man. Absolutely, man. I think me and Anthony have been playing music together for almost almost 17 years in different configurations. I did a solo artist thing for a while. We were in different bands together. And then we just kind of, we weren't in a band together for a, a while. And then we decided to do it again. And that's Everett today. And uh, I think since we had been playing music for so long together, we both knew who we were individually and as artists and what we wanted to accomplish. But when we got back together, it it did take a minute to go like, what are we as Everett now? What is Everett? You know what I mean? We know who we are as individuals and as buddies and as friends, but what's this going to be, you know, without overthinking it and becoming too brand oriented by any means, but we just wanted that message to be clear. And uh, I think that's one of the things we were heading that way already with the recording of Kings of the Dairy Queen parking lot. But I, I know for me personally, the pandemic really put in perspective of like, well, whether it's playing in a room for 20 people or 20,000, I'm doing this the rest of my life. Like I have to go do this. Like, this is what I love. This is what makes me a better husband, a better dad, better friend is being out playing music and seeing the people react to music. You know, it's just, it's so incredible to be a part of that, have a front row seat at watching an audience enjoy live music again. It's, it's everything. I think too, to, to kind of sum that up, like, 2020 I feel like kind of fast-tracked the realization the light bulb that you know I, re I really I feel like uh me and Brent you know we at heart we're servants you know like we're providing a a service we're trying to bring something to people not just be a spectacle and and be something memorable hopefully people remember something the same way you remember a good meal at Thanksgiving that you know brought a family back together or whatever it is you know what I mean like but that's what we're I think it made us want to hone in on what that is, what that feels like on a stage, you know, three minutes on the radio or on Spotify or whatever it is. Brent, I want to go back to something you just said, because I do want to go back to how you guys met in case people don't know the story. But before we get to that point where you guys kind of converge, Brent, you said during the pandemic, you kind of reevaluated and realized music is what you were going to do for the rest of your life. Like it didn't matter how many people you were playing for, but you were going to be playing music. Did you always have that bug in your life? Like when did that hit you in your personal life? Yeah, I think it has, has always been there, but at least I thought it was, but I feel like the pandemic when uh, we were forced to not do that, you know, I mean, we could record and things like that, but getting in front of people, I think allows some time to breathe and to think like, like Anthony said, the why, like, why am I doing this? Like, because this is a tough business to be in. And, and then you get married, then you have a child and then that changes your whole perspective too, you know, because you're no longer to this just running around drinking too much and strumming guitars and singing, you know, like we still do that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but with, with a little more purpose involved. And I think that's, that's the thing. And 
I think the main thing for me is I realize that I'm not, this sounds so with Jerry Maguire, I'm not complete <laughs> with without uh, playing live music. You know, there's the process of you write the song, you record the song, and then you go play it live for people and experience the song. Because the song is not a song until it hits people's ears live, in my opinion. That's when it really comes to life and you can see it come to life. And without that, I didn't, I, I wasn't myself. I went through a really, really tough time during the pandemic. And it was a good realization of like, I have to do this or, you know, my wife's going to hate me probably because <laughs> I'm not going to be myself, you know? Were you a performer when you were a kid too? Or did this, did this come to you more as an adult? Always. I've been playing music a long, long time. I started off in church and then I was in a band when I was in my early teens. That band played Sometimes some years over a hundred dates a year in a church wow. bus touring. I was just a guitar player in that band. And Anthony, similar story, just we've always done it. And uh we've had periods where we didn't play shows, but you knew they were always there to be played. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this was different. It was like, no, it's not happening, you know? And it was the eye opener for sure. Yeah, Anthony, I, I know as Brent just mentioned, it, it was always kind of something that you did as well. I mean, what was the inspiration when you were younger? to get into music? Was music really prominent in your household? Were your parents super into it? How did you find music? I, you know, I didn't think about it at the time, but when I, uh, my stepdad, you know, I guess starting around when I was four, it was when, when him and my mom got married. Uh, my, my, by the way, my dad is a, and that side of the family, all huge music lovers, everything from classical to uh, my grandparents. It's all music is just classical music. Everything else is garbage, but my dad <laughs> loves rock and roll. And I remember hearing you know, some of the first songs I ever heard just going like, oh, my God, I really do love this. Like the realization, like music is doing something to me. But uh, it, my stepdad was a DJ. He was in the military, but he he worked at AFN, Armed Forces Network. So, you know, we would turn on the radio and I'd hear his voice introducing Aerosmith or whatever it was in the, you know, early mid 90s and whatnot. Well, we lived in Germany. And and so, like, I'm getting to kind of I guess I had a little bit of an inside look at like kind of at things and it was just, it was exciting because I'm like, oh he's playing what's he gonna play next you know we'd call in and request like Def Leppard or something and he was like okay I'll play it for the boys you know whatever but like uh, I think that was pretty cool and really the the biggest shift for me I think was uh, we begged begged my brother and I begged my dad for a guitar I mean probably for months and uh, he was like okay 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 and we went to a pawn shop got a cheap little Fender Squire Stratocaster. It was black. I mean, to us, it was the best guitar we've ever, it was the sexiest thing we've ever seen in our lives. Um, I guess we hadn't really discovered girls yet, but <laughs> I remember the first time I heard Philip had it first, he's older and he was always first, but uh, he's playing and, you know, he's pretty cool. He's here, try it out. And he showed me something. And that first strum, it, I felt the, you know, the guitar amp and my whole body was just resonating. And I remember turning every knob as far as it would go and just, and, it, and like it, it really felt like you know electricity i was i was like okay i don't ever want to put this guitar down and then i think i was kind of learning a little faster my brother was like oh my turn my turn and so we were having a fight over who's going to play the guitar luckily my brother started playing drums and we started playing in bands and stuff in uh middle school and high school 
So guitar kind of uh, became your thing, and that's kind of how you two came together. You're both from a very similar area, same county in Kentucky. And I love what I was reading into your bio, how people make it sound so outrageous that you never met when you were in Kentucky. I'm like, there are people on my block I haven't met. Like, it shouldn't be that outrageous that two people don't happen to cross paths. But it's kind of funny that you guys kind of met, I think it was through church, right? And somebody suggested that Brent learn a little more guitar from you, Anthony? Yeah, I was was teaching some guitar lessons. I, I had a good buddy, Mark Kaiser. Um, who got me into teaching some lessons at Little Flock Baptist Church. And I was kind of just getting into that system. You know, it was uh, at the time for me, it was a pretty big shift uh, um, in every way. Um, and then a, a mutual friend, Jason Reynolds, my, mine and Brent's mutual friend, um, Jason had heard me play and I guess told Brent like, hey, dude, you suck. You need lessons. Go see Anthony. <laughs> How did that feel, That's Brent? Much it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jason was I was in, a, in another band at the time, just a guitar player. And I was looking I was actually I don't know if you know this, Anthony, probably. But I was looking to expand my skills uh, at the time. And my buddy was like, dude, you got to hear this guy play guitar he's there was a this this was like one of the big churches that was kind of a big business they had a gym there that you go to for free i mean my buddy were at the gym anthony was a few doors down giving guitar lessons so we just walked down there i met anthony he played me some stuff and i was like dang this guy's great and so i was like man i want some lessons like i i, I need to i need i need a little polish up some things here and and we All never, we did was polish off some beers, honestly. Yeah, we we didn't we didn't do any lessons. We ended up writing songs, honestly, and have been writing songs ever since. So that's that that was the first day we met. Anthony was very studious, and <laughs> that was a an, another shift. Like so, going into college, uh, I, when once I finally got locked in, I was going to the University of Louisville, and uh, but right before you know the end of senior year of high school getting ready to start my first semester. I actually went to orientation at UofL. I was excited. I remember like talking to people who are like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to play music. And they're like, are you going to be a teacher? I'm like, I don't think so. Well, what, I mean, I was studying classical guitar and I guess like, I was like, oh crap. Am I, is there a market for classical guitar? What am I going to play weddings or <laughs> museum events or, you know, what do you, you know, how do you really make a career out of that? And, and I guess that was when I started really thinking like career, oh, I have to make money. I have to like support myself and possibly other people and so right before i think i told you this brent you probably know this story it might have been a while but uh right before the first week of classes i dropped all my music classes i was like i'm not doing this this is a bad idea i can i can just play music on the side and i was honestly i'd just stop playing guitar i wasn't i quit every band i all i took was german one and i think like some math course or something so i just had two classes my first semester and um i got so down and depressed and picked my guitar back up one day because my dad was like, hey, I want to hear you play a little bit. And it, it kind of brought it all back. Anyway, it's got locked into school and I was all in. I was practicing four hours a day, going to every class, making straight A's, you know, doing the thing. And I started realizing like, yeah, classical guitar is just not going to be it for me. I love music. I love that music, Bach and the Brazilian guitar that I was learning, but I knew that it wasn't going to be, it. I wasn't quite on the path that I really wanted to be on. I was somewhere near it. I met Brent. And that's when it all really started to click because we st- I was already writing songs, kind of doing my own thing and singing a little bit and starting to realize, OK, this feels like something. I'm not sure what it is, but me and Brent started writing together and the songs felt more alive, more like that they had a heartbeat. And I remember getting so excited. We would write like a verse, like 
30 seconds of a song recorded onto a seat, you know, back in the day when you have CDs that go in a little jewel case yep. and you walk out to your car and go for a drive. I remember getting in Brent's old S10 and we listened to that same 30 seconds over and over and over and then go get, you know, Taco Bell or something and just keep listening to it over and over and over and get so excited because <laughs> it was like we were doing something that we, it was changing us. And that really, I think that set us on this path. And that's when you guys kind of realize like, man, there's, there's something more here. And, um, and then it just, did you guys just kind of click and start playing shows? Like, how did that work? How'd you get out there in front of other people and start saying like, okay, we got to start performing these. Well, on one of those drives, I don't know if we were listening to a, a demo we made or not, but we were, I remember we were in your Dodge Stratus. Anthony. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we were saying, we gotta, we gotta get out and play some shows. And a buddy of mine, Clay Harnett was playing in Bowling Green, Kentucky a lot. He had a band called Big Kitty out there. So I was like, we should go out to Bowling Green and, and, and play. So I called Clay while cruising in the Dodge Dodge Stratus and uh it's like, hey man, if we came down there, could we open up for y'all? And he's like, Yeah, dude, we're actually playing, I think it was the week that weekend, I think. He was like, Won't y'all come to my house and play me a few songs and then and then we'll we'll see what happens. So we get to this house and we played him original songs. We played him like two or three original songs. And his roommates were there who are also in bands in town. And they were like, Yeah, man, y'all should what are y'all doing tonight? And we were like, uh, nothing. He was like, you want to come play tonight? Yeah. Can y'all cover 45 minutes or an hour or something like that? And we were like, <laughs> yes. And we only knew the three songs or three or four songs that we wrote. And we had to go back to another buddy's house and we learned 45 minutes to an hour cover songs for that night. And, uh, Man, that night was electric, though. It was a fully packed, shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder packed bar, club, whatever you want to call it, called the Brewing Company. And it was $5 or $10 all-you-can-drink night. So it was packed. Yeah. And we played everything from Goo Goo Dolls to Buck Owens to Alabama, and we learned it all that day. I don't know if we could do that now, but we had we had the excitement and the energy back then that was – Man, those were good times, man. I was reading something, uh, an interview, I guess, with you guys, and uh, somebody was asking about the college experience and all that. And one of you, I forget who, I apologize for that, said that you feel like you got a degree in honky tonk. You felt like <laughs> the college experience was there, but like what you guys did outside of the school is really what kind of trained you for what was going to be happening later in your life. One hundred percent, man. I mean, we school was definitely definitely a second thought. We we made it through, but. Playing music was always our thing. And the the big thing about that is we got to meet and hang with such a diverse crowd. Like we became friends with our fans and the people that came to our shows. And it'd be anybody from, you know, real deal hippies that like hippies from the 60s that were out drinking and having a good time. We actually went to a bluegrass festival with them. We won't tell you the details of that, but it was an incredible <laughs> experience. Um, but there's so many different kinds of people it's from the Harley riders to the hippies to we played in front of so many different types of people. And I feel like they shaped us. They taught us how to have a good time. They taught us how to treat people mm. because we were, you know, in our early twenties then, and just full of what a full of piss and vinegar, I guess you'd say. And we got luck, lucky and got to be around some of the most fine people on the planet. And they, they taught us how to party and have a great time. Uh, semi-responsible i guess <laughs> i think i think there was a 
there was an understanding that everybody was taking care of each other. There was nothing malicious. Yes. There was no like, let's go kick some, you know, was it drink beer and kick ass, whatever the, whatever the thing is. Like, it was actually like, we're going to have a good time. And if somebody's getting a little squirrely, we're going to take care of them. Or if somebody gets a little sick or, you know, hey, maybe you, maybe you want to slow down a little, you know, there, it was every, it was a community. It was a family. Yeah, that's a good word. It was. It wasn't just go balls to the wall until you can't anymore. You know? Yeah. When I when I was reading this thing about you guys too, when you were talking about college, it kind of made me think about my own experience. Because when I when I went to school, I went to school to be academic. But one of the things that I wanted to do, I grew up north of Boston, and there was a college radio station near where I lived that played all the underground rock, punk rock, whatever that I was listening to. And I was like, I want to go to college, and I want to be on the radio station so I can play the stuff that I love for some other kids sitting at home, hanging out maybe at night, like looking for someone to listen to. I was like, that's what I want to do. So when I got to school, I found that. And then I was like, that's it. I was like, I don't, I mean, I, I still got my degree, and I, but I couldn't tell you half the stuff I learned in class. And I was like, I'm going to shows, I'm meeting bands, I'm meeting record label people, I'm going to work on the radio, I'm going to do whatever I got to do because this is like, that's where the experience was for me, like going to a different city, being able to experience life without mm -hmm. still having all the same responsibilities that you need to in real life. You know what I mean? Like when you're in college, you still don't have the same level of responsibilities. Right. So I feel like in some way it was kind of similar where you guys were out there like, yeah, I'm going to get my degree. It's important to get that. It's important to have this experience. But like what I'm experiencing outside of the classroom is really what's going to train me for what's going to happen to me in my future. Yeah, man. We're glad you took that path. Uh, me too. My parents aren't, but I am. <laughs> right there was a point uh, a few years back i forget i mean i, I got lucky I've, I've been lucky to have some pretty good jobs but uh, i went to school to be an astrophysics major and there was a point where some, my dad saw some story that was like zero percent unemployment for astrophysics majors and i was like well thankfully i'm employed but that's yeah i guess i should have stayed on that path because there's a lot higher <laughs> unemployment rate for radio djs <laughs> right <laughs> So college, you're playing music, you're get, you've got the bug, you're ready to go. You guys are like, all right, this is it. But you move to Nashville together, but separately. Like you don't go as what would later become Everett. You go to Nashville to pursue music, but in different ways. I know, Brent, did you have a, a do you have a deal on your own when you were there? Yeah, it took a, a little bit. I mean, we were we were rolling back and forth from Bowling Green before we actually moved to Nashville. It's not that far, right? It's, it's it's fairly close. Like an hour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not not too far. Um, but, um, yeah, when we actually moved into town, we did move together. We were roommates. Um, but I think it was 2011 we moved. And then 2012, I actually got a pub publishing deal with a company called Seagale Music, um, which is was owned by a guy named Cristobal and Brad Paisley. And, uh, yes, I just name dropped. Um, Paisley's not an owner of it now, but I'm still with that company today. As a, as a, as a songwriter. Oh, okay. And Anthony, what about yourself? Like when you went to Nashville, I know like you guys, you guys moved in, you were roommates, you went down there, but like you were pursuing being more of a session player. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things. I, I feel like that year, 2011, I, I felt like we were really itching for that next big step, me and Brent together. And we were in a band uh, that was kind of a big fish in a small pond. Like we were in Bowling Green and Kentucky like we were doing a lot but we knew we had to take it to the next level and we were like hey we're moving to Nashville and the other guys in the band had real jobs <laughs> that with like real income and 401ks and stuff and, <laughs> and uh we did not have that and so we were like you know love you guys we're leaving get to Nashville and Brent always says I love this like you know you go through the doors that open and um at the time I I had a hard time understanding this but 
you know, we're roommates, we're buddies, we're all hanging out. And our old, actually a previous drummer of ours was our third roommate and we were having a great time. Brent started taking more meetings as a, a songwriter and then there's artist potential. Brent's singing on these work tapes and these demos and Brent's got a fantastic voice, you know, and, and a lot of those songs I was writing too. And I think like I, I was, I started noticing a slip happening where like I was kind of, you know, writing, we're, we're kind of working together and all of a sudden Brent started to surpass me, you know, exponentially faster and i'm going like well hang on whoa, whoa, whoa what's what's happening here you know you know looking back now i understand it's there's a use as a public somebody in the business as a, a writer looking for cuts um, a publisher looking to make money off of cuts and, and everything like you're going to see an artist that can sing and write especially if somebody looks like brent and sings like brandon he's a i want to i'm trying not to cuss so bad sorry <laughs> he's an angel look at him but like uh, you can cuss it's anyway. okay it's a stash Okay. But like, oh dude, beautiful stash. There was an attraction to that, you know, and, and I'm just a guitar player that writes songs. I mean, I sang a little bit, I can sing harmony, but I wasn't doing the artist thing or whatever, as far as like, I wasn't a singer. And so like that, that I think, and Brent was just kind of rolling with, you know, yeah, I'm getting asked to write with this person and this person that's had all kinds of, of course, you know, I'm glad Brent went and did that. And, it, but in a, it, it was a little bit of a struggle for me to process that at, at the time, because I, I felt left out. Um, but I think it actually worked to our benefit because it made us kind of work on ourselves individually. Brent found more of his strengths on his own and I found more of mine. Cause I, I moved to Nashville to be a songwriter, to be a session, to be a, a musician all around. And I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to be on stage, you know, with, you know, whatever, if it's the, the name of the band or it's, you know, Brooks and Dunn, you know, whatever Rupert and Olympia, whatever that is. Like I wanted my name to be on the bus too, or, or part of the band. And, um, I was going through the doors that opened for me too. So Brent starts a solo career and that's rocking and I'm playing guitar with him on the road and I'm writing songs with him. I had no publishing deal for a while. I was just trying to get, drum up whatever work I could. And I started playing a little more sessions, writing with some bigger names. And, um, and me, you know, we were, Brent was helping me a ton. He would throw people, Hey, I need a guitar player to do this thing. Brent was like, you should check out Anthony. And like, which I'm so grateful for, cause that got me in a lot of rooms. That otherwise I may not have been able to get into. Um, but anyways, a lot more doors started to open up for me. Like I started playing on some bigger sessions. I got my own publishing deal at another company. I started working with artists like Haley Witters, who's doing awesome now, and Jameson Rogers, and um, becoming had kind of my own friend pool and different things. I was as a sideman and a co-writer, and Brent was still doing his thing. But I think Brent started getting busier, and I was getting busier. But our the busyness wasn't lining up together. And I think that's where we started to notice, like, ah, oh, we miss each other. You yeah. Know? And um, that was really what I think, you know, we had the conversation one day, like Brent was saying, um, we we were writing some songs and Brent was like, man, I, I can't do, I miss when Brent used to talk about himself in third person. I really do. <laughs> I remember Brent, we were riding around your old green van, Brent, and, he, and you go, I can't do a Brent Rupert show without Anthony Olympia. <laughs> Which I get it, you're talking about the product or whatever, but I just remember, never forget that. And, uh, and I, and I had, that needs to be a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I said, well, if, if you really feel like I'm that integral of the thing, we should be in a damn band, you know, or whatever. And I think like, I didn't realize the weight of what I was saying. Cause that meant like, well, Brent was going to have to pretty much wipe clean all the stuff that he'd been working on for at that time, probably three and a half, four years. And I was going to have to wipe clean all the stuff that I was working on too, like just kind of wipe it all off the table and start at square one again. And so we got pretty quiet and didn't really talk about it much more for a while. And 
when we finally circled back and had another conversation about it, we were like, we really should do this. And we talked through everything, like, what is it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? You know, and we decided it's going to be, you know, an equal, equal parts duo. Like we, we make decisions together. We write, you know, we, it's unanimous, everything we do. I mean, there's understand we're, we're best friends and we, you know, we butt heads here and there, but for the most part, we yeah. respect each other. And we, you know, we, 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 uh, go back to doors go through every door uh having each other's back you know what i mean there's no like oh i guess shit you always get your way none of that kind of stuff it's all like hand in hand (laughs) yeah and just to put that in perspective timing wise jeff like we made that decision and then just a few months later we met you on radio tour it was like so fast we were like oh it was like riding a buck in bronco like all right we're starting this when we started the band we didn't even know what our name was going to be and when we were starting to get some label interests and stuff and then we finally got a band name and signed our record deal and they put us on radio tour just a few months later we we've been playing music our whole life we'd never done it with a record deal or radio tour or anything that kind of thing so it was all brand new stuff for us man but it was cool it was a cool experience couple things I want to touch on there. One, I've heard both of you say this phrase throughout this conversation. You've both used the phrase, just a guitarist. Please, for the love of God, don't diminish yourselves that way. Because <laughs> it's what you guys can do is fantastic. And as, fan, as a fan, I can appreciate that. So you're never just a guitarist in any way. Uh, second, I love what you were saying, Anthony. Uh, it, when you were talking about turning it into a duo, turning it into a band together, it would have had to take both of you starting over, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's so important to Everett working is that you both had to start over. It wasn't like one of you was going to leave everything behind. The other one was like, all right, I'm ready to go whenever. You both had to make tough decisions. So it really did turn into an equal partnership as opposed to one person kind of losing more or carrying the weight more. Like it really was both of you going all in. I, I think that's probably a recipe to what has been the success that you've seen so far. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I never, I, I haven't thought too much about that, but I think that's, I think that's right. I do want to talk about radio tour really quick. Cause I know that I'm going to lose you guys here in a few minutes. Um, but I, I did hear a story about radio tour and I think it was Anthony showed up without pants or something. Like, did I, did I get this story right? Anthony? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> what was it? I, uh, Lee Adams told you this, I bet. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> confirm or deny that it was Lee Adams. <laughs> I, left, I left my suitcase or somehow my pants got separated from whatever I was toting around with me. And I was kind of like, oh, hang on, hang on. I don't have pants. Like I just had like, you know, gym shorts, like something you'd wear in a hotel bed. And like, it was a bit of a, well, turn it around. <laughs> we need pants. <laughs> yeah, it was like a 45-minute drive back to the bus because our bus driver, they have, they can only drive so much. And she went up, she was about to go over limits, so she had to just pull off and stop. So that's what was happening. I remember that. Oh, man. So I know you guys never went away. Um, you've all you've been together since since I met you, even before then. So you never went away. But I do feel like there's a little new momentum right now going for you. How does that feel? How are you guys feeling about current stuff going on and what the future looks like for Everett. You know, it's, it's always good. We're, we work so hard and mindfully, heartfully, soulfully out, whatever you say, like on what we're doing, like really, we want this to work so bad. We've been working on this for so long together, almost seven, uh, 16 years or whatever it is um, to, to see an injection of some success, whether it's, you know, modest or whatever, like, 
it feels good. It's affirmation. It's like, okay, this is working. You know, things are starting to bubble. It's, you know, it's just a little, turn the burner up just a little bit more and this whole pot's going to be boiling. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think too, I mean, we have so much more that we're excited about than we put out. You know, we have so many songs right now ready to go. And so many songs I feel like in our spirits that are um, ready to get out. I, I just have a, a vision for this, these next few years um, for us that I think is going to be exciting uh, for us and, and our fans. Like, I feel like we have so much to give and to, to have that momentum start to pick back up again after the pandemic and the rug was swept out from under us and blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's what I get excited about. The mo momentum means another day to get to do this and another day to serve our our, our people and our fans with what we think uh, is cool, you know? Well, we got a long way to go, you know? I mean, yeah. the things are things are working. You know, it's I, I feel like we're further ahead now than we've ever been in, in a lot of ways. And, um, but we also know there's uh, quite a, quite a few more steps <laughs> up the mountain, but we're also looking at like, you know, there's always going to be a mountain, you know, it's finding the joy in every step. And I, I, I feel like we're, we're there a lot more days than we're not, you know, joyfully working rather than toiling, you know. Well, I love to hear that, guys. I know Zoom's going to boot me off in a second, so I want to say thank you and uh, and say good night. I know you got some kids to take care of, too, but uh, Brent and Anthony from Everett, Kings of the Dairy Queen parking lot side B is out now. It's a fantastic work of art, you guys, and thank you so much for your time. I, I can't wait till you roll back through town so we can hang again. It's been too long. Yeah, Jeff, man, thank you for the years of support. It means a lot to us. It really does. I'm a fan. I got your back, guys. Thank you so much for all this. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Cheers, buddy. Big thank you to Everett for their time. I love these guys so much. It was such a pleasure to talk to them. Their new album, Kings of the Dairy Queen, Parking Lot Side B, is available now. So check it out wherever you get your music. And thank you to all of you for listening to the Adult Education Podcast. Until next time, be well.